Good morning from Northern California. I have been making short broadcasts lately for my audio mo month of June. Today is the 18th of June. And good morning, Maggie. How are you? Did you sleep well? Did you sleep well? Okay, let's see you. How are you this morning? Mommy's going to make her coffee. It's 7.30 the morning. I need some water. Um, but today I looked at my, my Anchor podcast and I thought, I'm going to do something longer today for audio mode. So before I go to the farmer's market, it's Tuesday and I got a farmer's market this morning. I'm going to have my coffee. And I'm going to say hello again to Maggie. Your food's here. What's your problem? I know you want outside. Is that what you want? Oh. How was your night? Um. Anyway, where's Molly? Go find a Molly cat. Where's the Molly cat? Your ears are cold. Um, I just thought I wanted to do a longer cast. So I thought I would do a morning coffee making hello, good morning coffee. And see if I could read a little bit of my Roka this morning before I even began my day. So shake it up a bit. I usually go out and try to take a walk and read my Rilke out in a boat. But today I'm going to do it with my coffee. Let me find. Oh goodness. Oh, it's it's kind of early, but I've been awake since six. have my cup that's I got from a long time ago from when I was a librarian in the libraries and this actually was when I was in the jail system working with the library uh, my supervisor gave me this cup and it's a kitty sleeping on a big shelf of books and it's a Charles Wasaki image. I've had it for a long, long time. Gosh, 15 years now? Jeez. <laughs> when was I in the jail? When was I in jail? Whenever I say that, people laugh. When was I in the jail doing libraries, library work? Hmm. Back in the early 2000s. Yeah, gosh, it's been almost, it's probably been more like 19 years. Wow, it's coming up on 20, huh? Anyway, here comes my noisy grinder puppy maker thingy.
that the other day. Audio mode gets you going in the morning or in the evening and reminds yourself that you have to make a cast. And sometimes I get like, oh, nobody wants to hear me. But if you make them short and sweet, it's okay. But sometimes I just want to do something longer. I don't want to have to worry about the timing out of you know, two minutes to get it on Twitter. So I've got my coffee. Let's go over. Let's go over to the studio space and have a seat by the morning light. Oh, it's nice in the studio. In the morning light. Hello, paintings. Time for me to finish up some of those paintings. Ooh, look. Air is cool coming in the window. My kitties have been scrounging around in here. And my all my stuff I had on my desk that was sorted out is all a mess because they jump up and go psh. Okay, that's cats for you. I know better. Mm. A little bit of coffee this morning first. Oh dear. I just noticed all of the all the trash cans are out and I forgot to put mine out. It is trash pickup day today. So where are we? Where are we with? Oh yes, we were in the Salon de Autumn. Let's go to the next page. Page 30. We are in page 30. Page 30, 30, 30. Let's see. Paris, 6 Eredissement. 29 Rue Cassette, October 8. 1907. And yes, you're going to hear my street noise because mm, we're sitting here in the front of the house. Dot, dot, dot. It's strange to walk through the Louvre after two days at, in the Salon d'Etome. Salon. Salon d'Etome. I don't know how, how to say it, of course. Which I was French sometimes. You notice two things right away. That every insight has its parvenus. Parvenus. Upstarts who make a hue and cry as soon as they catch on. And then that perhaps these aren't particularly, particularly illuminating insights at all. As if these masters in the Louvre didn't know that painting is made up of color. 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 Color is my seduction. Oh, 
the neighbor is going somewhere and he's talking to his dad or somebody and he's on his way to like summer school. <laughs> hmm. Okay. Let's go back here. I'm sort of digressing. So, as if these masters in the Louvre didn't know that painting is made up of color. I've looked at the Venetian, Venetians there of an, an indescribably radical colorfulness. You can feel how far it goes in Tintoretto. Almost further, farther than Titian. And so on into the 18th century where the only thing separating their color scale from Manet's is the use of black. Hmm, that reminds me. Well, I'll have to come back. Guarde has it. Incidentally, it was unavoidable right there in the middle of all that brightness ever since the laws against luxuriousness no, that's not what it says. There goes dad now. I'm sorry, I feel like I'm... You know those neighbors that look out their window? <laughs> I used to have a neighbor next door that would do that. Would look out her window at what was going on in the neighborhood. Um, hmm. And so... <laughs> Now I'm the one. She was in her 90s. I'm not near that yet. Okay. Let me go back. Sorry. We were talking about Guarde. Uh, incidentally, it was unavoidable. Right there in the middle of all that brightness. Ever since the laws against luxurious display decreed the use of black gondolas. I have a little bird here, right? They just came right into my camellia. Little tiny bird with yellow on its wings and neck. Hello, good morning. Oh. <laughs> um, but he uses it more as a dark mirror than as a color. Manet was the first, encouraged by the Japanese, certainly, to give it equal value among the other colors. Contemporaneously with Guardi and Tipulo, Tipulo, a woman, too, was a paint was painting a Venetian, who came to all, all the courts and whose name was among the most celebrated of her time, Rosalba Carriera. Watteau knew about her, and they exchanged a few pastels, herself portraits perhaps, and held one another in tender regard. She traveled a lot, painted in Vienna, and one and a half hundred of her works are still preserved in Dresden. Three portraits are in the Louvre. A young lady, her face raised up by the straight neck, and then turned naively toward the viewer, and in front of her decote, lace dress, she holds a small, clear-eyed capuchin monkey, who is peering out from the lower edge of the half-length portrait as eagerly as she's looking out on top, just a bit more indifferently. Black hand to straw, black hand 
to draw her tender, distracted hand into the picture by one slender finger. Ah, I'm going to sneeze, I think. Ugh. <coughs> Excuse me. Mm. Excuse me again. Okay, let's see. This is so full of one period that it is valid for all times. And it is lovely and lightly painted, but really painted. And there's also a blue cloak in the picture. And one whole lilac white gillyflower stem, which strangely takes the place of a breast decoration. And I noticed that this blue is that special 18th century blue that you can find everywhere in Latour, in Pernay, up to Chorin, where it still hasn't lost its elegance, even though he uses it rather heedlessly in the ribbon of his peculiar hood in the self-portrait with the horn-rimmed pince-nez. Pince probably. I could imagine someone writing a monograph on the color blue from the dense waxy blue of Pompeian wall paintings to Chardin and further to Cezanne. What a biography. For Cezanne's very unique blue is descended from these it comes from the 18th century blue, which Chardin stripped of its pretension and which now in Cezanne no longer carries any secondary significance. Chardin or Chardin was the intermediary in other respects too. His fruits no longer remind you of a gala dinner. They're scattered about on the kitchen table and don't seem to care whether they are beautifully eaten or not. In Cezanne, they cease to be edible altogether. That's how thing-like and real they become. How simply indestructible in their stubborn thereness. When you see Chardin's portraits of himself, you think he must have been a queer old lone wolf. Perhaps tomorrow I'll tell you to what extent and how sadly this was the case with Cezanne. I know a few things from his last years when he was old and shabby, and children followed him every day on his way to his studio, throwing stones at him as if at a stray dog. But inside, way inside, he was marvelously beautiful. And every once in a while, he would furiously shout something absolutely glorious at one of his rare visitors. You can imagine how that happened. Farewell. That was today. Now this is Rilke writing about his thoughts and letters on Cezanne. Mm. There was many footnotes in this piece. So Jacobo Robusti was also known as Tintoretto in the early 15th, 1500s, 1518 to, well, that's when he lived, 1518 to 1594. Tiziano Vecchiello, Vecchiello. Uh, it was another one that was mentioned in this, it was Titian. And uh, 
Francesco de Guarde was another artist that was mentioned here. And then on the next page, they talk about Tiepolo and Carriara and Watteau, and those are all listed down there. Those are all artists. And then we have Maurice Quentin Latour on the next page. And when when uh, Rilke talks about um, Pernay, he means Jean-Baptiste Pernay, 1731 to 1783. And then, of course, we get to Jean-Baptiste Simeon Chardin. 1699 to 1799, his self-portrait with Pincinet, Pincinet hangs in the Louvre. If you've never been to the Louvre, you should try. It's one heck, heck of a museum, and it would take you months. I'm, t- I'm not shouting out, I'm not teasing you, months to go through that in any sort of real way you'd have to come back over and over again I've been there two or three times now I think three so and I would love to go back so that's my morning audio mo's number 18 today and that's the end of reading for Rilke I'm going to start my day Have a good one, everyone.